Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, welcome to the Movements and Mobilities series hosted by the New Books Network in association with Mobilities and Methods Lab at the University of Illinois at Chicago. The Mobilities and Methods Lab and the New Books Network partnership provide a platform for authors, readers, and their interlocutors to engage closely with questions of mobility and movement. My name is Lakshata Malik, and today I'm joined by Dr. Kemi Balagum, uh, Associate Professor at the Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at University of Oregon. We are in conversation about her book, Beauty Diplomacy, Embodying an Emerging Nation, published by Stanford University Press in 2020. We look forward to hearing from her. Welcome, Kemi. Thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me and having me part of this podcast. Of course. Uh, So I'm going to start just by a basic question of um, how did you come to this project? And could you talk to us a little about this concept of beauty diplomacy, which I particularly found really interesting? And why was it so significant to frame beauty pageants in this way, especially in the Nigerian context? Thank you. Yeah, that's a uh, great question. So I got interested in the topic because Um, During trips to Nigeria, I noticed that the pageant scene was booming in the country. And um, just in terms of the sheer number of them, I was surprised by. And I found that beauty contents in Nigeria were attached to a a wide host of activities and products and industries. Um, From more expected sites like promoting cosmetics uh, to calling attention to like particular social causes, uh, for example, promoting peace in the country and unity unity in the country. And uh, I also found that beauty contests in Nigeria were used to endorse certain businesses like tourism, hospitality, uh, telecommunications. So this was really my entry point into just seeing that pageants were so embedded in the social landscape of urban life in Nigeria and then coming to understand that these were events and sites for uh, and platforms for uh, representation in terms of community representation, in terms of representing the nation, and really promoting certain ideals around femininity and womanhood that I found to be just really interesting and compelling. So um, in noticing just how um, many patents there were in the country and how increasingly there seemed to be a crop of young Uh, upperly mobile women who were attracted to being a part of them, I wanted to be able to ask complex questions around femininity and nationhood and embodiment and thinking about beauty diplomacy as a particular concept that embodied all of the types of work that uh, the various stakeholders that were attached to beauty contests in Nigeria were, were aiming to promote. So everything from the pageant owners to the pageant staff to the contestants, the judges, fans, were all invested in a particular narrative about the work that pageants do in Nigeria. 
And it was really about saying that pageants are important in the country because they are promoting a positive image of uh, Nigeria as a nation. And um, really, I think what is unique to the Nigerian context uh, and which and reason why that particular beauty diplomacy narrative was really um, has like a lot of traction in that context is that uh, Nigeria is a country that is often talked about in these uh, particular set of extremes. So on the one hand, Nigeria is seen as a really important country um, to the African continent. continent. It's the largest uh, economy in Africa. It's the most populous country in Africa. Uh, and so oftentimes um, the country gets talked about in terms of all of the promises for its political economy in terms of um, it being really central to the region, central to the continent, and increasingly central to the globe at large um, because of all of the kind of natural and human resources that the country has. So it often gets talked about in terms of its great potential and the kind of the optimism around um, the growth and development of uh, its its economy. Uh, but on the other hand, um, Nigeria is often uh, talked about in terms of a lot of the negative imagery or the more... Um, the more uh, critical problems that it has. So in terms of recognizing uh, a lot of issues around poverty, corruption and conflict and um, recognizing that it's often not talked about, like in terms of its national identity, it's often not talked about in terms of um, uh, the ability to kind of bridge a lot of the divides in the country in terms of ethnicity and in terms of religion, in terms of class. And so, I think that particular kind of uh, tension, that narrative between the promises of Nigeria and also recognizing a lot of stories that emerge out of the nation in terms of despair uh, and great inequality, um, there's a lot of um, momentum and a lot of investment in wanting to kind of rectify a lot of the poor reputation that Nigeria has and uh, put forward those stories that are a lot more positive and, and, and uh, promote uh, its potential. And so there's something about positioning young kind of seemingly innocent but upwardly mobile women as the face of that nation. Uh, and it has a particular currency that I think uh, resonates in, in the context um, of Nigeria. And um, thinking about kind of the investment in pageants as a form of leisure and, and entertainment, but then also recognizing kind of the political relevancy and um, kind of the political context in which it emerges as well, uh, I think uh, speaks to why um, I particularly was interested in, in kind of developing and fleshing out that concept of uh, beauty diplomacy. No, thank you for that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I think you do such a good job of sort of looking at these structural and also individual elements uh, because you're looking at also like personal stories and things like that, but alongside these structural issues that you're looking at. And I have a number of questions based on both, but this is sort of going back to the point you made briefly in your sort of introductory uh, uh, um, introduction to the idea of beauty diplomacy is that... Um, this is used to sort of bolster other kinds of industry like hospitality right so mm-hmm. um so the second question is sort of in relationship to that like how do different ideas of nation i guess coexist and and the gendered nation of the gendered aspects of these so these more robust forms of like uh, economy building and uh, like the industry like economic like very hard sort of quote unquote uh, parts mm-hmm. of um the nation versus these softer quote-unquote representations 
and, and I was wondering what the relationship between these types of uh, uh, representations of the nation are and, and how they coexist. Yeah, so I think one uh, take on that question is thinking about both like the material and the symbolic um, angles of nation building. And I definitely see them as being uh, ones that reinforce each other. And the kind of sites that you've identified as both kind of robust and um, kind of these softer elements of nation building, I think embedded within them, they both have symbolic and material um, aspects. Um, but the kind of more, you know, softer uh, nation building uh, examples for like beauty pageants, for example, um, are more associated with these symbolic realms, but they have these material uh, consequences and they're also built through uh, particular material um, means and resources and forms of mobilization. So they definitely reinforce each other and, um, some of the ways in which I could, I see that is uh, in one chapter of the book, I talk specifically about the uh, 2002 Miss World pageant. And uh, that was a time where uh, specific uh, stakeholders in Nigeria, uh, Nigerian entrepreneurs, and kind of in collaboration with some uh, aspects of the Nigerian state in terms of um, some political um, government officials, were invested in hosting that international beauty pageant because um, they saw this kind of really clear-cut connection between all of the uh, kind of pageantry and symbolism about hosting a uh, world event in the country. But, you know, they were ultimately motivated by some of these material um, uh, material outcomes that they hoped to get. So... Uh, and I, I detail okay, there there are multiple layers to that particular event because there ended up being protests around it, and so they weren't able to hold host um, the pageant ultimately. But the hope around hosting that pageant was that um, we would have this uh, big uh, international beauty competition in Nigeria, and it would have direct uh, consequences in terms of attracting investment in um, from countries around the world and also building Nigeria's tourism industry because we would have this direct platform and this um, chance to, you know, televise uh, the very best tourist sites in the country, show that Nigeria is a safe and hospitable hospitable place, that um, business people and entrepreneurs should be uh, attracted to in terms of trying to leverage and tap into all of this untapped wealth. And so... Uh, that's one example of kind of the ways in which these symbolic and material angles uh, come together in terms of reinforcing each other. Uh, and then also in terms of um, the ways in which the owners of the pageants who are in Nigeria, mostly men, um, and how they use their connections to the pageants and their connections to um, beauty contestants as a way of wanting to attract um, kind of capital and um state investment and financial capital uh, in terms of tapping into uh, other political and economic elites in the country. So in, in Nigeria, it's not uncommon for the pageant owners to um, invite uh, speci- specific state dignitaries as special guests to the, the show as a way of kind of um, facilitating uh, more long-term relationships. Um, they will also... Um, invite, uh, you know, folks that are kind of in uh, 
the the more kind of upper uh, wealthier parts, wealthy uh, echelons of Nigerian society as special guests, right? So these are ways in which they uh, the owners use their these pageants that are very much built on uh, the work and the labor of um, female contestants. Uh, kind of getting to your questions around the gendered angle. Uh, and it's a way of, for them to form these relationships with other um, political and economic elites. So um, those are some of the ways in which I see them as very much reinforcing each other. And also the beauty pageant in Nigeria is this really um, interesting vector of bringing together both um, the entertainment world and um, leisure sites and thinking about also the ways in which they tap into uh those the elites that are at the levers of state and financial capital. So um, those are some of the ways in which I see them as interacting and um, being connected and coexisting. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense in, in terms of uh, how they obviously reinforce each other. And that, that thank you for that. Yeah, the other thing, of course, was sort of talking about uh, you. You mentioned the labor and and sort of and and that I thought was such an integral part of the text as well, which is like highlighting the labor of these young women who are doing the work of diplomacy, right? So there's a constant tension between um, these women who have individual quote-unquote gains to make from the pat- plat- uh, from the pageant being this platform to other kinds of success or promising at least other kinds of success and this idea of them providing their unseen sort of undervalued or not valued labor of repairing quote-unquote the image of Nigeria globally so how do you understand sort of juxtaposition between capital uh, that they amass through the uh, pageants the what you specifically term aesthetic capital and I'll come to that in another question but the capital that they amass and and the labor that they do uh, for the repair work quote-unquote of the Nigerian um, image yeah, I think I think that's also like an interesting tension that you've pointed out in that they're doing all of this labor, as you said, that is um, on the one hand recognized as as very uh, powerful. So uh, in the beginning of the book, I include um, a discussion of Agbani Derego, who won the 2001 Miss World pageant, and she was the first black African to do so. And um, at the time you had all of these politicians, including the president at the time, who talked about how, you know, this is such a momentous occasion for uh, Nigeria and part of Nigerian history. And it should go down as an example of um, the ways in which young folks in the country can be successful and make a name for uh, for the country internationally. Um, so there are ways in which that kind of value and the labor that's done is very much recognized at kind of at the highest level. Um, but on the other hand, as you said, there are all of these kind of unseen or hidden ways in which uh, oftentimes contestants would tell me that the full value and the full um, the full uh, potential value of their work was oftentimes um, not recognized, um, either in terms of feeling... Um, manipulated or used or not fully realizing the material um, value or the mid or like getting the, the accruing the full um, monetary value of, of the labor they felt they were putting in. Um, so recognizing, for example, that uh, an owner 
oftentimes would use their association with the pageant to meet a government official, for example, uh, that would that would uh, motivate that government official to invest in the in the pageant. Um, but they felt like they weren't seeing all of the kind of material or uh, financial benefits of that, right? And so recognizing that there are these differential values that accrue to these multiple groups and recognizing that it's not equal, right? And so that's one kind of angle of it. Um, I think another angle of it is um, seeing that um, there's a certain, both the labor and the capital that is um, working through this pageant system happens both at like the level of the individual and also like at these um, more structural or um, uh, systemic levels. So um, there's ways in which labor is both being like performed on the contestants themselves in terms of, you know, having access to specific beauty specialists that do the work for them to be able to even amass forms of uh, beauty capital um, that's important for the work that they do. Um, And then also uh, them being able to um, boost the reputations of others. So oftentimes the pageant owners, uh, because they're seen as uh, doing work that's in the benefit of uh, young women, and, and it's oftentimes framed in this very kind of women's empowerment uh, move, uh, they get some reputational boost from that uh, in the country as well. Um, and then also figuring out how the contestants also want to and aim to boost their own capital through the labor that they're doing. So um, oftentimes they, they're doing this work in service of making particular connections in the industry and outside of the industry that has um, ramifications for their forms of social capital and the connections they that have and the social circles that they're running within. And then also um, wanting to be able to um, translate that into forms of financial capital and saying, you know, ultimately I'm using this as a stepping stone into the types of careers, that, uh, the kind of post-pageant career that I want to be able to pursue. Right. No, that that actually opens up a few of the questions, of course, a, a the idea of like multiple stakeholders mm-hmm. and, and who gets to capitalize. And it's really a struggle over who can capitalize over this labor. And the contestants are very much within that running as well, right? They don't want to be sidestepped in this uh, running. So that creates this sort of complex idea of agency and and who gets to reap and and the benefits quote unquote of of this labor that they put in the other thing of course i found it really interesting is like usually pageants are seen as um, these problematic spaces of projecting ideas of um toxic sort of femininities like mm-hmm. um, non-inclusive and and classed and and all sorts of things and but you really, I mean, through your fieldwork and your methods, you've, you've hung around in these spaces. You've worked as a sort of unpaid intern, if I'm not wrong, in these spaces mm-hmm. of training and, and constant work that goes into them. There's this idea of discipline, right? And we usually understand discipline only in very like militarized and other contexts. Like that's where mm-hmm. the state is acting. But it's not the state here, of course. There's always conduits of like private players as well. But discipline is somehow enacted, right? Um mm-hmm on the bodies of these women and and beauty is not quote unquote innate right they they don't you you don't ha- you don't necessarily have it in the sense that you're either beautiful or not but pageantry is more uh, sort of complex than that um 
could you speak to us about some of the sort of uh, contours of this disciplining and and does the disciplining differ through pageants uh, and you mentioned also like a number of ethnicities being represented what that what does this sort of singular form of disciplining or beauty disciplining means in this context all those things yeah yeah so i think um some of the ways in which disciplining works in um pageants in Nigeria specifically is um, thinking about the ways contestants work to kind of mold and shape their bodies to fit into the parameters of kind of the pageant world. And so that takes place both in terms of um, needing to enhance their own bodies. So needing to lose weight, needing to learn how to walk, using certain beauty cosmetic creams, uh, having their hair styled, styled a particular way. And, you know, oftentimes that involves um, relying on particular professionals that kind of have the know-how and can mold their bodies to fit those particular expectations. So it's not happening kind of in a vacuum. It's often happening in the context of their connection to other um, body laborers who are helping them do this work. Um, That uh, happens both kind of pre pageant, but also there's a particular regimen within the pageant in terms of like teaching them how to walk, etc. But the disciplining doesn't just happen in terms of physical appearance, but it also happens in terms of the emotional work that uh, contestants are are expected to do in terms of fitting the demands of uh, pageant. So presenting yourself as being Uh, confident as being a warm person who feels comfortable interacting with the public and being uh, in many ways compliant and and not being seen as a troublemaker were also ways in which I saw contestants being disciplined. Uh, And so I remember one example, which I don't, I don't think I put in the book, but um, one of the examples that kind of illustrated that this wasn't, as you were saying, kind of innate, but this is something that there were skills that the contestants had to learn was that um, in one of the kind of post pageant events, uh, one of the, it wasn't the winner of the pageant, but it was like the first runner up had to fill in for the winner at this uh, charity event where the winner was expected to give this kind of public speech about the importance of the social cause that was being championed in that event. And um, they hadn't done enough work for that, particular contestant to be prepared enough. And so you can kind of see the ways in which she was kind of a little bit wobbly in her public speaking and wasn't really uh, sure what, uh, wasn't as sure of herself in terms of what she should say. And so um, she was, she was kind of um, uh, scolded a little bit afterwards and kind of uh, told that, you know, she needed a little bit more work in terms of uh, fitting into the image and what the, and what they were expecting. Uh, and so seeing that those were particular skills that contestants had to develop and, and cultivate. And again, pointing out that these this was kind of work and labor on their part to be able to fulfill those particular demands. Um, and also like kind of learn the requirements and the pageant and expectations of each pageant because uh, not all the pageants are kind of uniform in their own expectations. So there were certain kind of disciplining of the contestants that they had to do themselves of kind of fitting into and learning the expectations that um, each individual pageant might have. Um, And then in terms of uh, ethnicity, um, 
that was complicated in some ways in terms of um, kind of pageants more generally and then the specific pageants that I studied. So on the one hand, in Nigeria, pageants are typically associated with specific ethnic groups, kind of part of the part of the country uh, because of particular assumptions around kind of um, religion and uh, the how conservative people are. So in Nigeria, people associate the northern part of Nigeria with um with um with Muslim people and more more kind of conservative leaning, whereas the southern part of Nigeria is um associated with Christianity and seem to be um more kind of liberal. And so um those kind of dynamics also play out in the pageant world because I would often hear people say that, oh, almost all of our contestants are Igbo, which is one ethnic group in the country um, from the southern part of uh, kind of southeast part of the country. Um, contestants are con- assumed to be um, cr- almost entirely Christian, uh, although I found examples of folks that, that were not, uh, even though the, the overwhelming majority of the contestants were Christian. Um, but also feeling thinking about how that particular um, reality of the majority of the makeup of the contestants didn't coincide with wanting to promote this pluralistic um, image of the country in terms of recognizing all of its um, ethnic and religious diversity. So thinking about how um, uh, in, in one pageant that I studied, um, the they were still, even though they didn't have a representative of um, all of the different ethnicities that would make up the, like a state representative in the pageant itself, they would assign contestants to all of the, uh, to represent all the states in the country. And so uh, a contestant would oftentimes represent a state that she was not from. And so that required a certain amount of kind of work and labor to kind of learn um, about those parts of the country that they weren't from, from, but they would often frame it as a way of, you know, this is a way of me being uh, a cosmopolitan person because I'm learning about all of these different regions in the world uh, and the country that I'm not from. Right. And so kind of thinking about how, again, disciplining bodies and kind of molding and shaping bodies and also kind of a comportment um, play out in different, in different uh, ways. Right. No, thank you so much for that. That that was that was really rich. And and sort of related to that question was this other tension that I found in your book, which was um, one between how uh, pageant uh, contestants are groomed and how they are perceived. So specific mm-hmm. notions of, on the one hand, they do all of this sort of emotional labor around um appearing poised and and there's associations with charity so there's clearly a cultivation of a moralistic imagination here on the other mm-hmm. hand uh, that you you sort of mentioned this idea of say certain types of like promiscuity being associated with um uh certain pa- like pageantry in general right so how do you re- are these reconciled are these opposing or sort of contradicting images reconciled and is there then like an ethnic bias again in in terms of how these uh, yeah how how this sort of imaginary plays out or how these contradictory imaginaries in fact play out yeah so i think that was one really central um contradiction that i saw um in my research and that and that it, it emerged both within the those that were uh, working in the industry and those outside of the industry 
And I found them to be particular tropes that were um, juxtaposed against each other as a way of um, doing some work around kind of legitimizing or discrediting pageants. And so um, the ways in which I saw this idea of pageant contestants uh, presumed to be kind of promiscuous, um, not educated, um, were ideas that were used oftentimes um, by folks that were um, critical of pageants to say, you know, these these women are held up as role models, as ideal women to aspire to, but, you know, they're problematic, right? And um, that was one way of kind of discrediting the work that pageants did um, from uh, from those that were not working in the industry. But I also found that that was, a, it was a tactic used within the industry as well, which was kind of surprising to me. And so some of the ways in which I saw that play out is, um, folks would say, oh, in the past, we might have had uh, contestants that were more problematic, that were not as educated, but now we have uh, kind of our pick from um, the, we have our pick from from women that are more educated, that are kind of more respect, respectable, responsible. And they did that as a way of uh, act, uh, adding some legitimacy to their pageants to say, you know, there might have been this past reputation, but now this is something that we should um, value and see as being important. So oftentimes I did see it as a way, again, this kind of maneuver to um, legitimize or delegitimize that the pageant world. Uh, I think it also has to do with some of the tensions and that is that emerges in terms of how sexuality plays out in the pageant. So some of that ambivalence has to do with the fact that on the one hand, uh, contestants are expected to be kind of chaste and demure. Um, in Nigeria, they oftentimes had to hide the fact if they had a boyfriend or not, because there were all of these, again, associations about um, associating with men and what are the ramifications of that and the, 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 um, the associations and the assumptions about that. But they also had to present an image as being uh, attractive and sexually desirable. So I think that a lot of those um, kind of tensions play out in terms of recognizing those contradictions. Uh, so I think that's part of how, why some of the reasons for why that emerges. Uh, and then in terms of ethnicity, um, one interesting thing uh, that kind of uh, connects to uh, one of the points I made earlier is that um, oftentimes they would say, or the pageant owners and some of the pageant staff would say, um, you know, the the most beautiful girls in Nigeria actually don't contest for for um, for these pageants, and they would tell me that the most beautiful girls in Nigeria are actually in the north which, as I said, um, is seen as um, mostly Muslim and more conservative. So I think that um, that com- those comments that I got weren't just about um, ethnicity and some of the, the, the assumptions and associations that people make about um, the physical features of people in the North, where they're, te- they're associated with, their t- they are uh, assumed to, to be... Um, color, lighter skinned, etc. So that's part of it. But it was also something about, um, uh, you know, oftentimes they would invoke this trope of kind of modest covered women and the kind of um, 
inaccessibility of that. And um, I think it was also part of that story around um, beauty and who's beautiful or not, and who would who would put their bodies and their beauty in forms of public display. So I think that that kind of speaks to some of the tensions that I also kind of identified about kind of sexual um, availability and how that's juxtaposed around uh, questions of modesty and being chaste, et cetera. Yeah, no, thank you for that. That that was really interesting to hear about, especially in terms of this differential idea of femininity that that's across uh uh, ethnicities that 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 exist and even some women by their absence sort of define the space as well right not just the women who are present and actively laboring but just the absence mm-hmm. of women's bodies um yeah uh, sort of this is going back to this idea of capital and i found your use of aesthetic capital particularly interesting and i'm wondering why you chose that term specifically like why not any other term and, and what kind of work does that term or phrase or, or, or concept do uh, in the context of the pageant or, or in terms of nation building, right? Because we don't usually mm-hmm. think of the nation as aesthetic, right? We think about economic mm-hmm. capital, we think about more robust forms of quote-unquote capital, but we don't necessarily think about nation in aesthetic terms. And clearly this aesthetic labor is going into doing that. So just thinking about that. Yeah, so um, part of why I chose that term or concept was that I was building off of the scholarship around aesthetic labor, uh, which I felt wasn't really, uh, it wasn't really paying attention to this form of labor. So I wanted to be in conversation with that um, scholarship and show that there, there is this form of labor that is also not just doing the work of, um, it's not just doing the work in terms of uh, particular corporations or industries in terms of promoting bodies and um, using them to kind of accrue forms of financial and symbolic capital, but that this is also happening in the context of the nation, right? And so I wanted to make that connection. Um, but then I also wanted to show that these were forms of uh, labor and capital that weren't just about physical appearance, but aesthetics also... Um, played out in terms of um, forms of civic capital, forms of demeanor and comportment, um, being able to speak in public and interact with public in the public uh, sphere. And so I felt like uh, the aesthetic, um, focusing on the aesthetic allowed me to get at um, this angle of what I call like the total package that contestants are expected to embody and um, uh, cultivate. And so I, I felt, I feel like aesthetic, focusing on the aesthetics um, allows me to, to think about both like physical appearance, but then also these fo- other forms of labor and capital that feed into that and how they kind of reinforce each other. Um, and so thinking about it as a um, expansive term that also um, includes forms of cultural capital, that includes forms of um, ways in which uh appearance and physical um, embodiment were important. Um, forms of civil capital as being important. So um, I see it as kind of this um, broader concept that allows me to think about other forms of capital that fit within it and, and, it's all, and the ways in which it's in service of um, promoting kind of this, rep, boosting this reputation of the nation, which is about um, um, promoting this particular image, right? And so it kind of feeds into the idea of the um, 
the aesthetic elements of a nation and how is it that that is built, not just through at the macro level, but it's also through like the everyday um, experiences and forms of embodiment that people on the ground are also involved with. So, um, sorry. Now, uh, getting back to the, and you sort of already sort of gestured towards this, right, with multiple forms of investment and, and capitals that can accrue not just to the contestants, of course, but also to these producers of these events, right, who invite all of these uh, important government officials or, or prominent figures in politics and everywhere else. I'm also thinking about, um, and because this is also a site for upward mobility for these young women, I'm, I'm wondering about, say, the class makeup or if this upward mobility translates also for the family um of these or or whoever else might be associated with these young women because most of the time these are young women who are maybe not able to afford just by themselves to, to be in these pageants and the financial investment that goes into it usually need to be supported by others and and is there like a is there a more collective dynamic to this mobility that might accrue to uh, not just the contestant themselves, but also others um, associated. Yeah, so I think part of how that plays out is um, because the um, contestants themselves are often um, just kind of starting out in their careers, um, they have to rely on others to be able to have the access to the resources that they need to kind of prepare for the pageant. Um, so buying things from gowns, particular um, uh, having particular cosmetic treatments, etc., they have to rely on family, friends, um, and other. Um, oftentimes, they they rely on what are called sp- sponsors, to um, which are like personal sponsors that are not they're not corporate sponsors, but personal sponsors that help them get the um, the money that they need for to be able to contest, and so. Um, that's part of that's kind of part of the kind of collective um, social capital that they have to build and invest in that um, they need to to rely on in, in order to even have the um, the resources to to participate and contest. Um, other ways in which I see that playing out kind of the collective level is that uh, contestants are expected to also kind of reinvest in their communities. And so um that's one of the ways in which kind of this demarcation between uh, contestants that are seen as doing kind of the proper um, the proper work that's expected of a beauty queen versus others that are seen as being more selfish or uh, self-serving. They also are that kind of line is uh, made up is is, is um, shown through the work that they do to again. Um, put some of that kind of uh, resources in, back into their communities. So, um, and in, and if, and in kind of showing and proving that it also is a way of, of boosting their own um, reputations. And so the, those are some of the ways in which they kind of feed into each other uh, and some of the kind of expectations around uh, collective enterprise or collective investment and also the kind of role that other folks around them have and even, um, supporting their endeavors. So oftentimes uh, contestants would tell me, oh, I even got interested in this because my friend kind of encouraged me or uh, said I would be a good fit for this, right? So um, other people's kind of expectations fed into them even being uh, interested or thinking about um, auditioning in the first place. 
No, thank you so much for highlighting that. That really sort of gestures towards these effective investments also that people make, right? Not just financial and these are closely associated and it, it cannot be separated that easily. I'm just going to move towards the last question that I was, that I think your book beautifully does is point out this, um, again, contradiction or con- just continuities between uh, the individual quote unquote self and, and the collective representations that these contestants are supposed to make. So the winner is always going to be just one person, right? One one mm-hmm. particular individual, but the representations are always like this gendered, ethnic, national, different kinds of representations that the individual in this case is doing. Um, I was wondering if, like, what does that do for, um, is that more burden? Is that uh, opening up spaces for newer things? What are these, and, and are these contradictions central to um, these pageants and, and in terms of valorization of individualism and also having all these expectations of collective representations, which you say, like, also map out then on the charity work that these contestants do, right? Yeah, one of the... Um interesting tensions that I that I um, noticed was that in order to um, be seen as respectable and doing the work of a beauty queen, oftentimes they had to kind of hide their own kind of self motivation, right? And so uh, hide in the sense of not talking about that as their primary reason why they were doing these pageants, even though I found that that was oftentimes the primary reason, uh, even though they had a lot of investments in, you know, wanting to build NGOs, wanting to do charity work, wanting to speak to um, and be tied to kind of vulnerable segments of Nigerian society they were also very much doing these pageants as a way of, you know, getting ahead in terms of their own career aspirations. Uh, And so that was kind of one tension I picked up on because if they went into pageants and I don't think this is not unique to the Nigerian context, but um, I think part of the, the kind of Nigerian uh, uniqueness is that um, having social connections is even more heightened in the Nigerian context in terms of kind of, making a name for yourself and uh, advancing in your career. And so oftentimes it was expressed to me that the stakes were particular, particularly high in the context of Nigeria. Um, but again, they couldn't go in saying that, you know, this is the reason why I want to do this. It had to, it oftentimes had to come in through um, promoting and acknowledging the, the community and collective angle that they were um, passionate about. And so um, that that's kind of one of the one of the ways in which I saw that tension playing out, and um, that there was a recognition that yes, a lot of these contestants are doing this because of individual gain, but the only way to kind of gain a foothold and be seen as deserving of some of the um, benefits of, of being in, in pageants is that you had to not come in it through that angle. Uh, even though you had to acknowledge and, and show that you were in, ambitious in some ways, that you have these goals for yourself. Um, and I think that also plays out in terms of, again, the tension between how uh, oftentimes pageants are presented as very democratic, uh, as you were pointing out, that it's uh, 
kind of this presumed to be this equal playing field in terms of, you know, everyone can contest and be a part of this. Um, but as you pointed to, you know, there's also a lot of inequalities embedded within the system. It's not as if everyone has access to even, because in Nigeria you have to pay a particular fee to even audition. So getting the fee, which is about, when I was doing my research, around $30, that can be an uphill battle for a lot of people. So um, recognizing that even though it's the on the face it's presented as, you know, this is a way for every young woman to make their dreams come true, which is, it's very much, that narrative is very much a part of uh, the pageant world, but recognizing that you're not, it's not really open to everyone because of issues of, uh, as you said, age and ethnicity and uh, class, right? And um, all of that as being embedded in the structures of the pageant system. So, um, you know, those are some of the kind of, again, tensions and contradictions that um, I, I came to. And I think a lot of the, what I realized is that a lot of the, um, the contradictions are kind of perpetuated as a way of kind of maintaining um, this structure that you're kind of, that, that uh, reinforces um, these kind of particular narratives and tropes and representations that are meant to support and enable um, the continuation of that system. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And, and, and for entertaining all of my questions, uh, Kemi, uh, thank you so much for joining us and for all of your insights. I am Lakshata Malik and this discussion of beauty diplomacy, embodying an emerging nation published by Stanford University Press in 2020 has been brought to you by the New Books Network in association with Mobilities and Methods Lab at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Thank you so much for listening.